the first episode of the Fathoming Heavy podcast. My name is Andrew, and before we get started, I thought I'd take just a minute to explain what I'm attempting to do and just tell you who I am. Uh, I live in Oakland, California. I've actually been in the Bay Area for most of my life. I caught the heavy music bug pretty early, and the Bay Area actually turned out to be a great place for a kid into heavy metal. Metal has been a constant in my life since I was about eight when I discovered Kiss and ACDC, which then segued into Maiden and Priest and then into Bay Area Thrash and on and on. Um, It's been something from which I haven't been able to escape, even when I've tried a time or two. And in fact, uh, exploring different styles of music um, has been, I think I'm better for it. But at the end of the day, metal is home, and I'm sure most of you can say the same. My skin is pretty thick these days when it comes to dealing with perceptions and misperceptions that people have about heavy metal, but occasionally something happens that just bugs me, and this podcast was actually born out of one of those instances. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I haven't found a heavy metal podcast that really connects with me. But one Saturday a few months ago, I was going through some podcasts in my queue and listened to two in a row, interviews with musicians who spoke about metal in a really disparaging way. The comments were dismissive and stereotypical and stupid, but for some reason, on that day, those pushed my buttons, and I found myself wishing for a forum that would let people in the heavy metal community actually tell their stories and talk about their experiences in a way that was honest and meaningful and respectful. And then I realized that maybe I could get something like that going. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I don't want this to be a PR thing where bands just sit down and talk about their new records. Instead, my hope is to have longer form conversations with musicians that I respect, whose music I love, uh, to learn about what makes them tick and what the music means to them. And though I've been around it for most of my life, I certainly don't profess to know everything or to be an expert. And in fact, I'm really looking forward to learning a lot from these conversations. The first episode, which uh, you'll hear next, is a conversation with Dylan Desmond, bassist and vocalist for the Seattle doom duo Bellwitch. I actually am pretty excited to share this because I think it went really well. Uh, We sat down one afternoon at my house, drank coffee, and just talked about cool and important stuff. I'm new to recording in this way, and so there are certainly some technical glitches, but I think as I gain more experience, I'll work through those, so hopefully that will get better. Now there's some thumping where one of us might have been kicking the table, I also have a bunch of cats, and one of them decided to sit on Dylan for most of the conversation, so you'll hear some references to that. Anyway, thanks to Dylan for his time and his ideas, and especially his music. Um, Thanks to my wife, Matilda, for her support and encouragement and help with the equipment, uh, which is just huge. Uh, Thanks to Craig for his encouragement and for helping me get this posted online, and thanks to Nick for his help with the graphics. And thanks to you for listening. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, you get the Kiss book. <laughs> My roommate likes to listen to Kiss a lot. And um, usually at 4 a.m. when he's blasted drunk. <laughs> Which is uh, always a good time. I don't know if I've ever heard Kiss when I wasn't blasted drunk because of that. <laughs> ever? That's not true. So we can change that. We I can remedy that. that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Yeah, we've been talking now about music-related things, but I'm curious, um, how how did you, how did heavy music enter your life? My father is a is and was a professional musician. Um, all through my childhood, he was always um, 
I'd say three or four nights a week, he would play gigs around Lawrence, Topeka, Kansas City area. Um, you grew up in Lawrence? Um, in a little town in between Lawrence and Topeka called Big Springs. I think there's like the population of 30 or something. Okay. It's tiny. Um, but I went to school in Topeka and we like you know, went grocery shopping in Lawrence. So it was kind of just right in the middle. Um, and he was always playing a dozen bands around there. It never got too heavy. It was way more of like a, a bluesy rock and roll sort of thing. What did he play? Oh, he plays guitar. Okay. Um, he's an excellent guitarist, even. Uh, so I was always around that, and I, he would always take me, because my mom would always be in school. Um, so while she would go to night school after work, he would take me to a gig after he would get off of work, and um, I would kind of just hang out until my mom got out of class, and she would come pick me up. Um, so I was, it, I mean, again, it wasn't really heavy, but it was very rock and roll oriented. You know, st- stuff along the lines of, of Kiss or... Um, Maybe maybe more bluesy like Stevie Ray Vaughan or um, even George Thorogood, Lightning Hopkins, uh, stuff stuff like that. B. King, so bluesy uh, blues and rock music yeah. at, at an early age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had a neighbor, like we lived in the middle of nowhere, so a neighbor was you know a continent away. But um, he was he would kind of babysit me sometimes. He was maybe like five or six years older, and. Uh, Jason Myers is his name. He's, uh, he's an excellent drummer, still lives in Lawrence, Kansas. And um, and he's the guy that was five or six years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He had a bunch of cool posters of the Scorpions yeah. and Judas Priest that I had made on his walls. And I thought, oh, like, whoa, those are so cool. Yeah. And that Eddie was great. And like, oh, this crazy skeleton monster guy. Yeah. And I'd, I would, he would babysit me, and I would, uh, I'd just make him play me all these records. I'd probably annoy yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> this little kid, play me this record now. But, um... What years are we talking about here? That was probably 87, 88-ish. Okay. I was born in 82. Okay. So you were were five, six. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, we'd do that a lot. Then he'd make me cassette tapes, which people don't do anymore, I don't think. But, um, you know, high speed dubbing and all that. So I get sure. I get all his cool stuff. Yeah. And I listen to it at home. My dad always had a ton of um, equipment to listen to music on. You know, so he'd give me headphones. And I wouldn't bother them with it. And, yeah. Um, were they? I mean, were they supportive of you with it, having an interest in that kind of music? Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. I, I think while they didn't necessarily understand it, I think my dad kind of felt like it was maybe like a pop thing. Because it, it maybe it's just so over the top that he was kind of like, ah, it's a fad, you know, like it's all based off blue stuff, anyways. But I mean, while I think he, he gets it and appreciates it very much, I think maybe at that point in time, he would, you know, maybe he would have preferred I listen to, I don't know, maybe anyone could be that way, appreciate things more that they appreciate themselves. Sure. Maybe not. I mean, I, I never, I don't think he ever forced that on me. That's just me uh, speculating, I suppose. Um, yeah, he definitely never forced any opinion on me of that sort. Um, but yeah, they were very supportive of me uh, listening to music in any way. Um, okay. You know, it was just such a big part of our household already. Um, I mean, every day when he would get off of work, he would come home. And his kind of routine was, you know, walk in the door, uh, angry and cranky from being at work all day. He'd practice the guitar for an hour or two, and then everything was good to go. Yeah. And uh, he's still that way. So, I mean, it, it's just... It's just kind of normal for him. I think he would... 
think it, you think it was weird if there wasn't music going on everywhere. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So you had that. Had an awesome dad, yeah. <laughs> have an awesome dad. Yeah, have an awesome dad, yeah. So he was a musician, and he was. you were exposed to music, and music was all around, and then you met this, your babysitter, basically. Yeah. Turned you on to a bunch of stuff. You were just interested in his posters and those kinds of things. Absolutely. That guy is so important. Yeah, in everyone's life, yeah, I think. I have that guy, too. And I think most people, yeah. 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 And I'm, I was born in 72, so I'm about 10 years older. Yeah. And, but for me, it was, yeah, it was Kiss at that early age in ACDC. And then, mm. you know, in the, er, in the early 80s. This would have been Bon Scott era, too. It was right, it was right when Back in Black came out. That was okay, the one. Okay. So whatever that was, 1980 or 81. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, and then it, you know, segued into Maiden and Priest. Right. Uh, the Screaming for Vengeance. Yeah, um, yeah. Number of the Beast era. And then from there, you know, living in the Bay Area, you know, oh. a little band called Metallica yeah. comes to town. Yeah. And pretty soon they're, they're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and so I, and, and I had an older friend who did the same thing for me. It was, he was a friend of my parents and I would say, hey, let me, loan me some records. And, and he so, no doubt had an older friend of his. At some no point. doubt. Yeah. 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 So, um, that's the way those, those guys, they, they come <laughs> into your life and change it forever. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, they're the best. So, um, did you have, I mean, in terms of friends at school that were into music, was there a little group of, of you, um, or were you kind of going on your own? Yeah, I think, um, I definitely had some friends in, in elementary school who were into similar stuff. I mean, I think at that point we were too young to really be into it. It was just kind of like a, a cool thing. Um, but I think by the time I, I moved to Kansas City sometime in the 90s and um, I made friends there who were into stuff also like I can remember my friend Matt and I used to um, go out and we, we were really into buying death tapes and obituary tapes okay, yeah. and Sepultura even though we didn't know how to pronounce the name <laughs> Sepultura Sepultura yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember I said that at a Sam Goody record store one time and the guy laughed at me you mean Sepultura um can't yeah. see it, you can't buy it. Kid. Right, right. Um, you can move her if you need oh, to. Oh, she's good. She's good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, de- I definitely had a lot of friends that were into it. And maybe as I even got older, um, more friends that were into punk rock over over heavy metal. Um, of course, I think at that time period, that was the late 90s. There's almost like a weird crossover, I think, between crust and heavy metal with bands like His Hero Is Gone or Counterblast or um, Dystopia even from the sure. day yeah. that were really, you know, in all fairness, metal bands. Um, just, and they def- I definitely wouldn't call them punk rock. Maybe the lyrical content was more that way, but um, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty far stretch from the Clash or Crass for that matter. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I definitely had a, I was always around a bunch of people that were into... Uh, heavy music for sure. I, I some of the friends that I have from my childhood are still still that way. The ones that you, the ones that you keep in contact with, yeah. going, you know, yeah, like I, I, they're pretty much all that way still. I think. Yeah, for me too. We can the music guys connected with each other, and those friendships have remained. Yeah, you know, and it's all rooted in that. If we didn't have that, 
I probably wouldn't have anything to talk about. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's not much commonality. But yeah, I think that that's, um, it makes an emotional connection in a sense because you're, while you're not necessarily expressing your emotions, you're feeling those from the music. And if you can identify, maybe connect through those, that's a really interesting sort of human connection. Yeah, absolutely. In a, in a healthy way. Yeah, very much, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, I think in all f- fairness, it's it's as much art as, you know, a painting is. Or oh, sure. If, if not, maybe more interactive. Well, to me, I've always considered music to be the highest form of art. And yeah, it's just my I agree. opinion. I agree. I would try not to say that because I don't know that. Yeah, I, I agree. I'll say it. <laughs> I'll let you take that one. I'll say that. <laughs> I very much agree. Yeah. I think it's... Um, and especially even with, with modern music where there's art, like there's visual art that gets associated with it, which is really cool. Um, it just makes it that much more... Uh-oh. Yeah. More of a, like uh, multi... Different levels to it. Like, um, give me an example of what you mean. Like, um, I always thought... Slayer had the coolest artwork. Right. Some of it's kind of ridiculous. Like, I don't necessarily think that the uh, artwork on Show No Mercy is good, but we get into, like, the Rain and Blood. Rain and Blood. Or the, um, yeah, South of Heaven. Like, I think that stuff's so cool. Yeah. And um, it kind of, it sets a mood for the album in a way. Like, before you even put it on, or before I put it on, I I, I feel like, oh, I know what's going to happen. It's going to be hellish. It's going to be terrifying. It's going to be great. And um, yeah, I guess that's that's something that, and I suppose this is subjective, but I don't necessarily get that sort of thing from a painting alone because there's the anticipation of the music coming on afterwards, and there yeah. is the music coming on afterwards, yeah. which is a whole, you know, the point in in, in itself. But um, well, that's one of the things that I think is so important about ha- having a physical product. You know, I remember yeah. those trips home on the bus. I remember um, I took the bus over to the record store. I li- was living in San Francisco, and I was in seventh grade, and I bought Hella Waits the week that it came out and um, took that home with me on the bus and just stared at the cover and was actually kind of something kind that of made me a little bit nervous about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for a little kid on the yeah. school bus. That's scary yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, those kinds of experiences. And then, you know, and those were those early experiences that hit home. But as I get older, um, I find that I still, I need that. I need those visuals. And when bands actually put some effort, um, like with what you guys did, on Four Phantoms, oh, yeah. which is just a stunning piece Paolo, of art. Paolo did it, and you know, yeah, I was blown away when I first got that. I very much agree. Yeah. yeah. Do you have that actual piece? No, he's got that. Okay. Um, he lives in northern Italy. So okay. I don't, I don't know the town, but um. But yeah, very much I agree. That's phenomenal. Yeah, and it's super important because it really does set a tone. Absolutely, I think lyrical content. And play into that as well too. Um, lyrics can be a really cool thing. You write all the lyrics, yeah. For Bellwitch, yeah. Yeah, I didn't write all the lyrics on Longing. Um, uh, Adrian wrote a lot of his parts, and I wrote most 
I wrote all of my parts. I don't, I don't think I wrote any of his parts on Longing. There's a, a segment in the song Rose. Mm-hmm. Eric Mugridge wrote his vocals for those. Okay. That's phenomenal. Mugridge, sorry. Oh, God, he's incredible. Oh, my God. And he does that so fast. Yeah. It's not like he sits down and... I mean, I think he does sit down and put a lot of energy into it, I'll but he does it over such a short amount of time. I'll give you a lint roller before you... Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind. I, we have dogs in my house. Okay. okay. All right. It's all good. Yeah. So he just kind of sat down and banged that out. And that was a mouthful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, with Rose, I think he had a lot of time because that was, that was like the second song we ever wrote. And I, I think there was probably two years before we went in to record it. Okay. And he was practicing with us pretty early. We were actually trying to make him be our, our vocalist, but he lived in a different city, so it didn't work out. Um, but, uh, yeah. So he had time with that one. Okay. But for Somniloquy on the on Four Phantoms, he didn't really... He, he had, like, a week <laughs> before we recorded it. Like, no, he has a, a, a project called Aerial Ruin. Oh, which sure. is um, just him and an acoustic guitar. Okay. And it's, um, it's very lonely, which is, yeah. we've talked about collaborating, and I'm, I'm kind of like, Eric, I don't think, I don't think you want me to, because, like, what you do is just so perfect. Hey, hey, nothing hey, else. Hey, it's hey. just you and a guitar, and it's so lonely. Don't mess it up. Yeah, adding more to that would, would yeah. muddy it up, and it would, I mean, hopefully we can do it. I, I mean, I'd be honored to, but I, I don't know how to do it. Does he have ideas? He does. He does, and I, I don't, I think that without hearing it, I don't quite know how to imagine them because I, I love that project so much but it's um I think what I love about it is, is the sparseness and the space and it's so it's so like he has such a beautiful incredible voice yeah and with such incredible lyrics to, to match um that it it's hard to visualize something else being in it I think I don't know well we're, we're gonna give it a shot yeah see what happens yeah <laughs> I mean it could turn into something yeah That'd be cool. Amazing. But, I mean, that's something that I think your music has a lot of, and I think that, um, I mean, I think that's one of the important elements of the kind of long-form doom thing that you guys do and some of the others do. Um, it's it's that it's the use of space. I mean, there's so much space yeah. in your music. I mean, on, on one hand, it is kind of a wall of sound. Um, but on the other hand, um, there's so much room in it, and it's that uh, there's something important about that uh, sort of dynamic between light and dark and, sp- and space and, and fullness, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, do, I agree. I think, I think space is kind of a, uh, which is so strange because I don't think that that's... Like if you look at a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the music that I grew up listening to, space was not no. a thing. It was like, how do we get rid of all this space? Right. How do we fill all of this? <laughs> yeah, which is a funny thing. I wonder if that's like a subconscious backlash of um, everyone that's playing doom music. Well, it's interesting <laughs> when you think about it because, I mean, people talk about the fact that there's been kind of a doom resurgence mm-hmm. as of late. And I think, I think um, as opposed to bands just rehashing kind of like what, you know, I mean, it happened here. There was the the thrash scene in the eighties, yeah, yeah. and then that came back in the in the two thousands yeah. with a lot of those same bands. And more power to them. Um, but it's it doesn't resonate for me the way that it used to. Yeah. Um, 
Like you feel like maybe it was it was done once and it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's rehashing. It's as rehashing. To, uh, elaborating. Right. And okay. I feel like what's happening with Doom these days um, is that there's actually a lot of new and innovative and really exciting is not the word, but um, <laughs> but um, I mean really deep music that's happening. And I very much agree. Um, and so I think about that sometimes. And why is it happening now? And I, I guess I can't, I can't speculate for everybody, but for me, um, I mean, I'm in, inundated um, with information. We all are information. You know, I mean, I sit in an office and I work at a job that's actually pretty heavy. I'm dealing with death and dying all day, so it's stressful. On that level, I mean, it's it's important, and I feel good about it. But um, in the midst of that, emails are coming in, faxes are coming in. You know, I've got three phone lines plus a cell phone. All of those things are ringing. There's um, no space. There's no space. Exactly. And then um, it's like we have so many living choices. a thrash song all the time. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So for me, having a place where I can just sit and listen to a song for 20 minutes um, and and to really get something from it I've got to focus on it because it's not it's not background music it's not um, it's not it's something you have to engage with absolutely absolutely I, I can see that I almost wonder and this is a really big generalization but um, I feel like a lot of the people that I know in the doom scene are usually a little bit older. <clears throat> I noticed that too. Whereas I think that, like, for me, when I was really into thrash music, I think I was a little bit younger. While I still love thrash, it's great. Um, I think there's a certain mood that I'm in for that, and it's usually when it's kind of party time or it's, yeah. uh, it's like let's let loose a little bit. Right, 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 right. Um, not always, of course, um, but oftentimes. Whereas, yeah, sometimes doom, doom can be a little more of a investment. Or an introspective uh, little chunk of time. Yeah. Which is maybe something that comes with aging. Is that a we're getting old joke that I just made and I accidentally went there? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe that could also be, maybe have the resurgence you're, you're talking about could have something to do with um, maybe the heavy metal scene getting older and slowing down. <laughs> There's another eight-year-old joke. Becoming, well, yeah, becoming more introspective. I mean, who knows? But it does seem, it's. I mean, right now, when you think about it, I mean, I don't know where you want to start the first generation, if you want to start that with Sabbath or what, but um, really, it's like the second generation is now, I mean, we're reaching our middle age. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, I mean, you're a little bit younger still, but... Um, You'll get there too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the doomed statement. So it's interesting though, because now, you know, I mean, our heroes, the maidens and the priests, right? I right. mean, um, even you know, Metallica's, you know, those guys. They, I mean, they're they're in their fifties, yeah, to into their sixties. Um, they want to retire almost. Yeah. <laughs> like with a pension, in right? The <laughs> um, and then you've got. The next, the, the people that were inspired by them yeah. to play music, who are you know now in in our you know, most of us are in our forties. I mean, I, I lump myself into that just because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a fan, not 
not absolutely yeah, yeah. but um, so it's kind of uncharted territory I mean it's amazing that the music has lasted as long as it has and to be as vibrant as it currently is absolutely um, absolutely is really telling and I think that there could be something also with like maybe some of the pioneers like maybe like the first generation that we're discussing with people that kind of Went, went kind of into uncharted territory with with music. Everyone, the next generation, kind of had a map, and maybe were able to go and look in some of those dark little corners that had been explored in some ways. But they were able to elaborate on some of those ideas. Right. And um, like with the, with the Sabbaths, you know, like with with Doom. I mean, Black Sabbath this is the first Doom band. Maybe they're the first heavy metal band too. They they charted a lot of un. Of uh, unknown territory in in that particular art form, I think, and for for bands like Skepticism to come around years later in Thurgothan, I, I've never known how to say that word, Thurgothan. That's how I say it, but I don't know if it's right either. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll just say that for the time. With bands like that, that I think are so unique and strange. Yeah. And like, I feel like they were trying going into territory that, like, where did that? I where did that come from? That's right. incredible. Right. But I think that there was even a map, in a sense, for them. Um, while maybe they were pulling from different resources than um, Black Sabbath was, for sure, um, there was still that that map for them to kind of follow and say, okay, well, this is this is the areas that have been explored. We can elaborate on that, and maybe as time has gone on, like the younger generations are inheriting those maps, mm-hmm. so to say, uh, which is kind of cool. If, and if that's a train of thought, we could continue on, I suppose, with uh, that, that idea. Or maybe that's the logical train of uh, yeah. thought. Um, well, and they've, you know, everybody goes out and explores a little bit more mm-hmm. and explores that uncharted territory. And probably right now people are feeling pretty free to do that. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I had. A, I remember I had a professor in in college who was trying to explain early civilizations, and he was comparing them to building a doghouse. He said, "Okay, so if the Romans built a doghouse and used, you know, three piles of lumber, three boxes of nails, which of course they didn't have lumber and nails. Different differences, sort of. Right, but <laughs> um, then like, the next uh, the next civilization that came along, wherever that would be, maybe the the Prussians, um, used." Two, two piles of lumber, two boxes of nails, and then, you know, years later, maybe the right. the, the British or, or whoever came along and used one, and it just keeps getting more efficient as time goes on. Maybe that could be applied to what we're kind of discussing right yeah. now as well. When you think about how long this type of music has existed, I mean, it really, it's a very small amount of time. Yeah, it's very young. It's very young. I think for a pension. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's changed in some really profound ways. Definitely. Um, which is, you know, it's amazing to look back at the evolution of it. Definitely. When did you start playing? Um, <clears throat> I played the alto saxophone in school band. Nice. When I was in fourth and fifth grade, and a couple years after that, I started playing the bassoon. Yeah. How did that, I mean, how did you start doing that um where did that come from there's a guy from oklahoma named michael hedges who uh it's kind of like maybe neoclassical is sometimes he goes pretty far out there um 
I think he was maybe um, dude putting most of his material out maybe in like the mid to mid eighties to mid nineties, and he died in a car wreck, which is unfortunate. But um, it's just like he was like a just a genius. He he'd play a baritone guitar. He'd play. Um, <clears throat> classical guitar and his hand just fly, they would both be all over it they were like he was playing a piano but he had a guitar and um just beautiful stuff sometimes it gets a little hippy dippy but you know <laughs> even in that it's, it's really good and um i kind of just fell in love with that and i was like man i i want to try to do that so i kind of tried to do it with my right hand maybe doing some tapping stuff and um I kind of just do that whenever I was practicing by myself, and I, I, I think it was it's kind of weird teaching right hand to do things because I was so used to you know using my left for the fret, but as the fret hand, it, it I, I could be pretty expressive with my left hand, I think, and trying to transfer that to the right hand is so weird because it's the same brain obviously working, but it's a different group of muscles that right. don't know how to interpret that uh, <laughs> those. Uh, Instructions from the brain, so to say. So it's this strange thing. I think it took me a while to learn. I, of course, I'm only using more or less one finger on my right hand mm. to do all of that. Mm. So it's not like it's anything super complex or anything by that, of that nature. But um, yeah, by Michael Hedges, I'd say was where I got that idea. And he's. It's a shame that he's dead because I think that he was he's just a genius. Um, yeah, more or less, and I think it was. Uh, with Adrian, who used to be the drummer, he and I had like maybe kind of a prog band called Leith. Okay, um, right. Um, before Bellwitch, <clears throat> and the uh, the guitarist moved away, so we kind of broke up. And there's a, a lady who was trying to book us a show in Seattle, and we were like, "Sorry, you know, we're broken up, more or less." <clears throat> and uh, she said, "Just, just do a bass and drums thing," and I was like, "Okay." <clears throat> And from there, it was like, oh, maybe I could try to do something with this weird tap thing that I've been nerding around with in my own time. And um, and I think that playing anything live kind of tightens one's skills on it because it's so embarrassing when you mess up. That <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to push yourself to, oh, don't mess up. You're motivated to yeah, I don't actually practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was um, probably how that all shamed into playing yeah right (laughs) it's a really strange motivator (laughs) (laughs) it's that ego yeah yeah definitely definitely so were you living in Seattle at that point Mm -hmm. so did you meet Adrian in Seattle no he and I met in Lawrence Kansas Um, his old band Sotholler was on a tour okay and um, my band Samothrace and Leith were he, he contacted me through MySpace and said, hey, let's play a show together. Okay. And um, I was like, yeah, sure, great. So I put uh, just those three bands, and it was great. And then when we all moved to Seattle, uh, uh, Leith had no drummer, and I started asking around, and he was, he was like, I'll do it. I already know. I've okay. seen you guys before. It was like, perfect. So, so he was living in Seattle. Yeah, correct, yes. And Samoth Race was actually, so they relocated to Seattle. Yeah, we, so Leith and Samothers, we all kind of moved as one big Got it. caravan, or we okay. several caravan, uh, several vans, but one big uh, <laughs> caravan, so to say. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of a big migration. Good fun. What was, what motivated that? Um, 
<clears throat> I think which is kind of the case with a lot of smaller towns. I think that we all just kind of felt like we had, there wasn't really much left to do. It was like there's not, not really a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. And we were going on tour all the time, so... I had almost exhausted every restaurant in town I can work at. Am I getting either <laughs> fired from leaving town or quitting because I was leaving town? Or, um, and there's not I mean, there's not a lot of money to support oneself. Um, it's just a you know, life is it's poorer there economically, and okay. we were kind of like, well, going to a big city, maybe we could find jobs that supported us better. Um, we could. Maybe there'd be other musicians there that are into the same thing as us. Right. Um, it's really cool to be surrounded by people that are kind of having all those really cool musical ideas, maybe a uh, art scene, so right, to say. Right. Uh, it's cool to be surrounded by folks like that. And I think that, you know, a small town is just such a smaller well of, of minds going into it. Not to say that there are any less creative or innovative or talented, but there's just fewer of there them. There's fewer of them, Yeah, which right. I think that was kind of... That, that's what I was thinking about when I think when I wanted to move to Seattle. And every, in my mind, Seattle was always the spot where there was lots of musicians. So that was easy. Did, you know, I mean, Seattle's famous, obviously, for the stuff in the early 90s. Yeah. Did that have any interest to you? or Maybe. Or was that kind of, I mean, that was kind of done by then anyway. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that was necessarily what we were looking for. Um I had a bunch of friends that had already moved there okay, from that so you area. had people there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ben Wormwood from Lawrence were kind of... I looked up to them a lot when I was a teenager. Um, they were so heavy and so so evil and sparse. I mean, it was almost, almost kind of a, a funeral doom sort of feel to it at times with the organ and uh, yeah. maybe very much at times. Um, and they had moved out to Seattle. <clears throat> and then we had... Uh, Friends and a band called Roku who would move there as well, and everyone was just always saying it's great out here. You know, there's musicians okay. everywhere. You okay. should come. And it was like, oh, so there was kind of already a bit of a social foundation to move into, so it was that much easier. Okay. Like when I moved into town, I knew, you know, two dozen people already that I'd grown up with. So it that makes was it really easy. Yeah, yeah, really easy. Yeah, it was almost like I didn't move at all. There's just mountains and ocean all of a sudden. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably a lot more rain. A lot more rain, a yeah. lot more rain, yeah. So, so Samoth Race moved, they relocated. You, yeah. you guys relocated as a unit, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you did the two records with them. Mm-hmm. And then um, moved on from that to concentrate on Bellwitch or what? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, Simon Thrace moved out there, um, and at that time, our guitarist, Daniel Noakes, already lived there, so we kind of just moved into his home turf, <clears throat> and, uh, and then we recorded um, another album out there, and uh, as time went on, I was still busy with work, and they were wanting to tour all the time, mm, okay. and I was trying to focus on Bellwitch, <clears throat> and uh, I think it was aggravating for all of us because they wanted to do more and I was kind of like ah, I don't really want to do more so we did we did a Bellwitch and Simon Race did a European tour together and then I kind of just said I don't I can't do it anymore I, I'm I'm holding you all back I'm driving everyone crazy we're all mad at each other all the oh. time because I'm so frustrating <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just probably I should probably just take take one for the team and, and leave which was sad because that was kind of my I mean I've been there since the beginning it was a, it's a great band it is a great band yeah, yeah, the guy they have playing bass with him now, Monty, is um, incredible. 
He's in the band Un as well, who just released a really okay. good album. Right. They haven't done much. Yeah, I think it's tough because Brian lives in Oklahoma. Okay. The guitarist. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and it's hard for him to get out yeah. and go back and forth. Okay. I don't know why he lives in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, why is that? <laughs> uh, he's a freak. No, but um, he's from there. Um, his family's there, so I, I totally understand. Um, he's really close with his family. It's really interesting. Um, I was listening to Life's Trade the other day, and um, just how, um, I mean, you don't often think of Funeral Doom as being progressive, but it's really it's really progressive music and, and you're all over that you know you can hear your bass um, what you're doing yeah that, that that was that album was so much fun to make and Brian is just an incredible guitarist like maybe one of the best guitar players I've ever played with I, I can very comfortably say he is <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and I think that he he and I were able especially in that time period to, to click and to come up with all these different ideas and he would have these riffs and it was like whoa and I could do this thing with the bass here and we had a lot of fun doing that and um, oh yeah I, I really I very much miss that but yeah that, that album was a lot of fun to write and kind of just see what we could get away with in terms of like what fits and what doesn't fit yeah and there's a lot going on yeah on yeah that record yeah yeah I think looking back there are some things I, I would have liked to have done differently but I think we were just we were trying to make it as, um, I don't know the word. I guess maybe I should say I was particularly trying to make the, the bass lines as, I don't know, maybe complementary to the guitar as I could. Yeah. I started getting this idea with that bin that I wanted to make the bass sound like it was thunder, mm. <laughs> which was kind of fun, especially on that second record. Um, it did a lot of like, cool swell stuff, which was, yeah. which was a lot of fun to do. Mm-hmm. From a nerdy bass player perspective. <laughs> well, you left your mark on those. Oh, okay. I mean, well, it's, you. you're thank really, you. yeah, it's really clear um, what your <clears throat> contributions were. Oh, thank you. At least yeah. to a listener, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want to ask you about this because this is something that um, that I thought about. I mean, you and I have spent some time together this year. At, you know, we mm-hmm. spent a lot of time at Roadburn and a little bit of time um, down in Southern California, and um, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Right. And, and we we laughed and joked and drank and had a great time. We were we were drinking and being merry. Yeah, we were. We were very merry. Um, <laughs> And so sometimes when I think about that and then I try and reconcile that with the music that you're making, um, those two things... They don't seem to add up? They really don't. <laughs> yeah, they don't add up. There's a, a, a really strange sort of juxtaposition there. And um, I know what you mean, for sure. Where? So where is that... Where is that coming from where is that I mean there's your music is so profoundly sad Um, (laughs) and um, and so deep in terms of just you know being just so so crushingly heavy Um, but everything from the overall tone of it to the length of it to the um, sparseness of the drumming to 
your quiet vocal um, approach. It speaks to a certain um, kind of mood, or yeah, for uh, sure. or, or it creates a mood. Um, but it's coming from some place um, that when I hang out with you, I'm not seeing. Ah, right, right, right. Um, so I'm wondering if you could talk. If, I mean, I'm having a hard time articulating the question. The, the, the uh, demons in the closet. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not asking you to, <laughs> no, no, you know, but. I kid, I kid. I, I know exactly what you're saying. And um, I, I, I spoke with several people about that, which is, which is interesting. Um, I think when it comes down to it, I think that um, maybe, maybe with all art, I mean, you know, that's a big generalization I'm a, I'm, it's, uh, that I'm about to make. But um, <laughs> I kind of think that with all art, it is kind of a, approaching from a, maybe a certain part of one's psyche or one's ego, so to say. And um, I think that when Bellwitch was starting and when those songs were being written... Um, with my job, I, I own a bar, and we had we opened it up, and we, I didn't really know what we were doing. Um, <clears throat> we fell into hard times, and there was debt, and I think that there was this idea that I took on of it, it. Looking back, I think it was almost like I felt like I was an indentured servant, like I was kind of like stuck in this weird slavery that I couldn't get out of, and I thought I have all this debt, I have to work this off, and. <clears throat> And the, the numbers seemed so daunting, and it, it kind of like it carried around all day, and I didn't know how to fix it, so to say. And I was working so hard to try to fix it, but it seemed like nothing I could do was ever actually going to um, fix it. And uh, I think that a lot of those initial songs were written with that idea. Um, and I think that as time has gone on, obviously, that... Um, you know, as they do, things have gotten much easier in that regard. But um, I think that the, for myself as a musician and as Bellwitch as a project, I was kind of able to um, tap, like, figure out how to tap into that mindset and expand on it on it, on its own. You know, it kind of went on in autopilot, so to say. I don't need to be going through, uh, you know, any sort of. Um, uh, emotional uh, recession or uh, mm-hmm. you know great depression uh, that are tied into the finances or the <laughs> my work life or right. anything right. Um, right. yeah so I think that that was kind of a thing and I, I look at some of the songs that I think that that was very much something that was being expressed in those early songs of like I felt trapped and that I couldn't escape um, like this hole that I kind of dug for myself and that um, I really wanted to, and I, and I was trying every avenue I could find, but I didn't quite know how. Um, I think that that was something that came out in some of those songs. Maybe something that I, I see continuing to come out as I'm writing songs, it, it's still kind of coming from that same spot that was, you know, for me personally, maybe a very traumatic time. It was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the hardest things I've had to go through in my life, I didn't, I, I just, yeah, it, it left a big mark, and I think that Whenever I go to start writing a song, particularly for with Bellwitch in mind, um, it, I just go kind of straight to that spot, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the sake of writing songs, but um, well, and it's probably really healthy for you too. Yeah, I think it was right. it was a very uh, 
yeah, I was able to kind of express things that I didn't know how to otherwise. Yeah. yeah. And that it's definitely a release. I, I find that if I if I can sit down and practice the bass every day for maybe an hour, two, mm-hmm. three, I can get a lot of that weird energy out. It's almost like going for a run, yeah. and burning off steam, so right. to say. Which I think is something a lot of musicians uh, identify with or do. So I, I guess does that does that answer that question? Does that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was. In a way, I mean, it was it was you working things out and dealing and coping, um, yeah, and working through a okay, really, yeah. Yeah, a really tough time and, um, and 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 coming up with creative ways and healthy ways to express it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, at least that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what I'm trying to get across. Okay, that's good that I'm communicating that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess I've never really. Said that out loud. I've definitely thought about that before. I've never really said that out loud before. I guess what it, it's, uh, it's exclusive. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've never put the words out there for it. So I, I guess I didn't know if I don't know if that's clear. But that sounds like that that comes across well. And I, I think that like with some of the imagery that's coming across in the lyrics, goes to that same idea with like the ghost that's sort of trapped in between life and death and. Mm-hmm. And I, all the songs are kind of about that in one way or another. <clears throat> and I think that that's very much of the same place. The, um, you know, the, your choice of samples on um, Behind the Mask. Yes, yes. Right? The, um, the scene at the end of the film, Mask yeah. of the Red Death, yeah. with... Vincent Price as Prospero, um, <laughs> you know, having that run in with with death himself, and mm-hmm. that's after he had tried to sequester himself and his people, you know, away from this red death plague that was coming yeah. in this castle, you know, and then everything, and then death shows up, and um, I mean, they added a bunch in the movie that wasn't in the Poe story, right? But right. you know, the whole point of that was, um, you know, we can run from it, we can run from. Death. We can run from tragedy and sadness and crisis and all of those things, and it will always find us. You run right into it, yeah. And you're going to run right, right into right. it, you know. Um, and just specifically about that, um, your sequence on that record, it went right from that into the song "I Wait," yeah. which is you know, which was something that was being spoken in that. Yeah, um, definitely. And those songs were originally those were the same track, and I think we divided it up because we felt like they were so different. But yeah, that was originally, and that the riff that's being played throughout "Beneath the Mask" is "Beneath um, the Mask." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same riff at the end of "I Wait." Um, yeah, just <clears throat> played in different style. Uh, but um, yeah, that that was very much supposed to be a um, kind of two two movements of one piece, mm-hmm. so to say. Or maybe just one piece, but yeah, we just yeah one piece yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's how it, that's how it feels to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very much. Um. Yeah, and, that, and that, I think that the the idea behind that, <clears throat> like what you just explained about the mask of Red Death, uh, matches up very much with where we were kind of coming from. And, and Adrian brought that sample in one day. He's like, "Hey, check this out!" And it was like, "Whoa, this is this is dead on it with what like what we've been." talking about making this all be and um yeah it, it worked out really great and of course having vincent price read anything is 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> his, his, he just has that voice. He does. And, you know, the way he enunciates everything. Right, and the, and, right. And the accents. And he, he's, I mean, if, if Vincent Price can record me a, a lullaby, I do it every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, I went back, actually, yesterday and just watched that scene from the movie. I mean, I've seen the movie two or three times, um, but it's been a while, and I wanted to see that scene as it was as it was shot, um, just as I was kind of knowing I was going to be talking to you. Um, and I wish you guys had just done the the score for that film, because oh, that'd be it, awesome. it's so much more. What you guys did musically underneath <laughs> that was so much more effective than the music. That's oh, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a guy um, in Poland who I just met recently. He lives in um, Warsaw, who... Uh, Took that scene from the movie and put the, uh, the 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 track to it, and we were talking, and he, he was like, you know, it's really weird because it didn't match. I'm like, what? And he's like, the the and there's a language barrier because I don't speak Polish, and he 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 speaks English, but um, not as well as he, he speaks Polish, obviously. Uh, I, and I forgot we had slowed everything down quite a bit. We'd slowed the voice down because it was. It's like, well, it kind of flies by when it's in real time how yeah. the movie is. So we, we, took, we took the sample and slowed it down a bit to kind of match with the, the mood maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, it took me a while to figure out what you were doing there. And then I realized, oh, they slowed it down. But, uh, yeah, and then the video is really, it's kind of cool to watch with. And obviously I've heard the song a million times. So, sure. But um, Has he posted that on YouTube or anything? Yeah, it's out there. Okay, um, I'm going to find that. I think it's on our Facebook page. Okay. I'll look for that then. Somewhere in the yeah. history of the Facebook page. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you one other thing about, um, you know, we're, we're Facebook friends, so I see your posts, and you were, you just did a pretty extensive tour of Europe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of your posts was actually a quote from Lorca. Oh, yeah, yeah. A, um, a poem. Oh, I love Lorca. And so... As I was thinking, you know, as I've been thinking about your music, um, I think about one of the ideas that Lorca talked about a lot, uh, which was duende. That, uh, uh, fresh me up on that. That's the idea of um, finding something good and something bad? Well, it's sort of, yeah, that, that place that an artist comes from when they can, when they, when they can, and this is my... Yeah, interpret- yeah, yeah, this is my understanding. Okay, but, you know, um, but being able to um, express themselves and put something that is dark and frightening, um, something that we don't like to talk about, and most of the time, you know, if you follow the chain, you know, you get into basically death and dying. Yeah. Um, to put that out and. play with that in their expression um, to channel it in in a way and you know it's something that in our society you know in in 21st century America um, so I think it may be changing a little bit but um, you know death and dying are things that we don't talk about a lot um, on a personal level I mean we hear about it all the time it's you know, it's it, it it's constantly being discussed, but not um, in a way that is really attached 
to us as individuals. Um, so any way that um, something from kind of the shadow side of existence is expressed and put out into the world, um, I think is uh, in a in a in a healthy and artistic way. I mean, I think is um, is super important for the world because we need to look at those things. Absolutely, and we need to be yeah. <clears throat> around those things and um, engage with those things. And so I feel like a lot of what your music does, I feel like you're coming from, I feel like you're, you're absolutely um, immersed in that. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> I, I can agree with that for sure. Um, As was he, I think. I think so too. And especially with the way that he, with the way that he died, yeah. which is kind of uh, like almost a proliferation of that idea, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. But yeah, that's uh, that's a... Uh, I think that's a really important thing as well. I think that um, I remember I had a friend some years ago who always said, "Why are why are poets always so dark? Why, what, the really hard thing would it be to write a happy poem?" And I remember I, I listened to that and I was like, "Okay, I see where she's coming from," but I wholly disagree <laughs> so much. It's like, no, 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 no. Who cares about that? Yeah, right. Like, I, I don't really think that there's a lot to get out of that, for one. Maybe there is for some people, but not for me. I, don't, I think a lot, a lot of people don't feel that way. I think that, off that Duende, Duende idea, um, I think that there is a kind of, yeah, an exploring of the, the shadows of our, of our lives and of our perceptions and our experiences that is maybe what, why art is there to kind of express and explore those things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in ways that it's, it's, you know, some of those things are strange to talk about out loud because they almost seem pretentious right. or they seem untrue. Right. But I think that art is kind of a method for those things to be properly expressed because sometimes they're just so fantastical and even ridiculous. And whereas why I think heavy metal is almost like the perfect medium for some of those because it, it has the aggression it has absolutely the hatred which is a really you know shy emotion that I think a lot of people don't want to go into right um, um, sadness likewise um, depression likewise um, and I think that yeah that art is kind of maybe the only way to get those things out maybe not the only way that's, that's a silly thing to say but it's I've found it to be the most effective. Yeah. And you're right. The type of metal that moves me the most these days is 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 metal that comes from that place. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and I think so much of it. I think so much of it does. But um, but I feel like a lot of it's coming from there now. I, I think so very much. I think it's almost unintentional, even. Yeah. Like no, I don't think anyone's going out with the idea of going off this. Um, Philosophical concepts, so to say. Sure. It just, it just, it no, it's happens. a natural thing. Yeah, it yeah. happens on its own. Yeah. And this is a perfect. It's just a perfect um, vehicle or venue for it. Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place to stop. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a pretty good note. I agree. You feel okay about this? I feel great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking with me. Yeah. Yeah.